developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Lynn, and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today, visiting with us is my dear friend and optometric colleague, Dr. Nancy Torgerson, or Dr. T, as her staff calls her. Dr. T was featured on this podcast several months ago, and she was so well-received, we wanted to have her back today, and we're going to talk about vision and autism. But let me just remind you a few of the wonderful facts about Dr. T. She is fluent in compassion and enthusiasm, highly educated and credentialed, and she's actually looked at as a modern-day visionary. She's received numerous awards and is an international speaker. Equally comfortable and competent in her roles as mom, doctor, adjunct professor, founder, and business owner, she has created and has her new book finally coming out, The Essential Playbook, Maximizing Outcomes in Optometric Vision Therapy, which is uh, can be pre-ordered now and ready to come to all practitioners. So congrats on that. She has a huge vision therapy practice and sees many, many patients, children and adults, including many on the autism spectrum. Most importantly, she's the best friend ever, caring, yeah. inspiring powerful, and even more. So, Nancy, welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Thank you so much, Dr. Lynn. Well, it's great to have you back. So let's get started. I mean, you and I have been in practice more years than we want to share <laughs> in four decades kinds of things. But you really, you know, veered off into an area that most optometrists or most eye doctors in general don't get very involved in. You know, what got you started with working patients that were on the spectrum, the autism spectrum? And maybe you want to start by just describing what is the autism spectrum. Well, the autism spectrum, and the reason why the word spectrum is there is if you imagine or visualize a rainbow, and it has all these different colors, and it's different spectrums of light, In with those on the, that have autism, they're all different, but the things they have in common is uh, social interaction is very difficult, and nonverbal as well as verbal communication may be difficult. And they typically have repetitive behavior, and these things start before three years old. So it is something um, that is diagnosed. And maybe diagnosed young and typically uh, more and more uh, is the coming diagnosed at a young age. But 
sometimes people aren't diagnosed until uh, elementary school and later on. And who usually diagnoses this? This is uh, typically like a neuropsychologist maybe diagnosing this. Um, pediatricians can pick it up, um, and some are renowned in this. So there are people that specialize in those on the spectrum. Um, and now, in the U.S., one in 40 children are on the autism spectrum, so that's huge, and one in 34 boys. When I first started all this, the numbers were like more one in 200, or and in year 2000, it was one in 150. So uh, the awareness and uh, those on the spectrum has exploded. So is it just the awareness of picking up more of these uh, patients, or what else might be causing such a huge shift in the numbers of uh, patients with autism? Oh, there are so many different um, theories right now, and that's being researched. Uh, is it our culture change in our nutrition? Is it a difference in, uh, in screen time? And uh, is it different in uh, our vaccinations? <laughs> is it different? You know, there's so many things that they're trying to see what what is causing um, this explosion, and we don't know yet, but it's something we all want to find out and hope that those realities are found out soon. And do you find that often you'll see um, this run in families, like either other kids or one of the parents have some of the signs and symptoms as well? Absolutely. It, mm -hmm. There does seem to be a tendency in families. Right. And you mentioned a few of the behaviors, but can you go through a little bit more of the signs and symptoms, the more typical ones and then the more subtle ones, because as you said, some of these kids don't get diagnosed until they're in elementary school or beyond. And so they've been able to cover up um, and either act more normal or just not be seen for what's going on. You know, what are some of these signs and symptoms? Well, lack of eye contact and fixation is big. And uh, if that's very... A, a little baby wants to look at mom, right, or dad, and wants to have that eye contact with time. And this may be total avoidance of eye contact or fixating on anything for any length of time. So that's a big uh, clue. Another thing is those repetitive behaviors, they come up, uh, it may be flapping of hands, it may be uh, finger rolling and looking at that and staring at that. A person may look uh, up close for extended length of time or just be peripheral, kind of lost in space um, viewing and as if they're in a dream world and not right with us in that moment. 
speaking uh, may be incredibly hard so, and communicating. So the person may just scream <laughs> or seek out noises instead of uh, words that we understand. I'm just thinking of a young man in his 30s that was in last week, and we did the evaluation in the hallway of the building because the exam room is too difficult for him, too confining, and he paces and we do tests while he's out there, and he's just screaming, but he isn't up. He's not upset. It's just his way of uh, communicating. So often these kiddos are misunderstood, mislabeled, uh, mistreated, because they might look like kids that have just attention difficulties or behavioral and their bad behavior because they can't sit through like a church service or they cover their ears. And so many parents don't know what's going on for quite some time. Is that correct? Absolutely. I love that you said cover their ears because vision is oversensitive or uh, not sensitive enough as are the other senses. So hearing, covering the ears, noises are bothersome. So going to a football game would just be painful. Uh, the vacuum cleaner can be painful, that noise. So it's things that are typical in a household can create distress for these children and adults. Yes. And another thing that um, causes a lot of social issues and distraught is the sensitivity to touch. You know, some of these kids hate to be touched or love to be hugged, you know, it could go either way. And so here, if a parent, and this is especially their first child, and they're not looking at them, and they don't like to be touched, and, and they're screaming, it's, that makes for quite a difficult situation, especially for a new parent that doesn't know what's going on. It's hard to bond, right? And, right. And the, and the guilt comes on the parent, what am I doing wrong? And they're fatigued just from having a new baby. And so this is incredible. And on touch, one thing I watch right away is what is someone wearing to the office? And if they're in sweats and they're turned inside out so the seam isn't near their body, that's a a clue that maybe this is sensory integration problem or maybe this person is on the spectrum. Very interesting. That's great. Well, so now that we have a better understanding of um, the autism spectrum, how did you personally get involved in working and now seeing so many patients on the spectrum? Uh, Years ago, like you were saying, uh, someone kept referring people to me, children, and saying, I know you can do more. I know there's a visual piece. And this gentleman was an auditory integration therapist. And in my memory, I had seen someone, one of his kids, who wasn't on the spectrum, but this was his specialty. And with with seeing these kids and thinking, is there a vision component? What could it be? 
I searched all over to read as much as I could, and there was very, very little written. Um, but Dr. Mel Kaplan in Terrytown, New York, was an optometrist that had written, later on wrote a book, not when I was first involved with this, Seen Through New Eyes. And I went back with a colleague, and we had lunch with him, and just talking to him and learning about different ways to evaluate and different of our different optometric tools, it led to a whole new awareness of how we could help in vision to help those on the spectrum. So that started you out in working with those kids and you and I know sometimes the real challenge in even evaluating kiddos uh, on the spectrum. Um, tell us, tell us a little bit about getting. Uh, you know, most people think, "Gosh, if he can't talk, and they're not speaking, and their behavior is challenging, how would you ever do an, a vision exam on a kiddo like that?" Right. Well, number one is be in a safe place for them, so that you can get as much information on behavior and watch what they're doing. And it becomes more like play in order to do an evaluation is what I found. But you can find out if they're nearsighted or farsighted or have astigmatism without them ever speaking with what we call retinoscopy. And it's shining light and light bounces back and it can tell us how farsighted or how nearsighted. Other tools on tracking, you can see about fixation, if their eyes can come together as a toy comes towards their nose, and we can tell if their eyes can team together um, by doing different testing. Um, It's amazing how much you can do without any words. And fortunately, uh, I have worked at an institution in Seattle um, for those that were neuroatypical and was not fearful uh, and enjoy working those with special needs. And I also had the joy of working all through high school in nursing homes. So I was used to working with those who had strokes and couldn't speak and you can talk and their eyes can twinkle back at you, you can get all sorts of information from people and watching their behaviors. And that's such valuable experience because, well, all all the parents out there know if you have a, you know, just a normal kid that is afraid of going to the doctor, which is pretty typical, and then they start shining lights and they're afraid, are they going to get shots and drops and all that? you know how your own kid could freeze up and just not cooperate. So imagine when you start with a youngster that already has uh, sensitivities and uh, is struggling, uh, how difficult and challenging that is. Um, You know, I've been around you when you've examined some of these kids and share (laughs) some of the most interesting stories of where and how you've done exams uh, because sitting them in a chair, your exam chair, and putting up the big fropters, those big lenses, and all that kind of stuff, isn't usually the way that it works for us. So, uh, yeah, tell us some of your stories. Oh, I've been under tables, and because that's yeah, like a cave, literally under tables and desks, 
to do, and that was a safe place. I remember one little one. We were in a medical building next to Toys R Us, and she saw a doll in the window and the poster, and that's all she could say is that doll's name over and over again. So I walked over with her uh, mom to Toys R Us, put my tools in my pockets and put her in the cart and did the evaluation as we walked through the store, bought the toy and she's screaming and uh, went through the line and then continued on with the evaluation back at the uh, office. Uh, another little one came from two hours away and would not do anything in, would not even come in from the car. Um, and so I went, I took my equipment in the car. I was in the front seat and he was in the back seat in the car seat. And we went through Dairy Queen drive through and he got his ice cream. <laughs> and I did evaluation while he was in the car eating his ice cream. I, I have... that. <laughs> that, that's a new story for me. I haven't heard that one. You didn't know that one? Oh, no, no. Other um, one on the trail. We had a trail in back of the office, and so I would just walk backwards, and they would walk, and I could do the evaluation that way. So many fun ways. Well, I mean, it's all about being original and creative and, um, you know, going beyond. And um, and we know what it's like for a parent when they see a practitioner take the time and efforts to really do the best on their kid. And a lot of times we don't get all of the rep- uh, results we would like, but boy, those parents are so appreciative and and uh, at least doing what we can to get um, the best information ever. Uh, what are some of the more typical results you find for an exam? I know you started out by saying it's a spectrum because there's so many th- kids that are different and not, no one's the same. But is there kind of, you know, a category, a group of kinds of symptoms or, or problems that the kids show? Uh, number one, uh, fixation, being able to look at something and hold on it and eye contact. Those are two big things that across the board, many, many have problems with. The other is eye teaming. And typically with those on the spectrum, I see the eye want to wander out either up close or far away. It's hard to team them together. And when we don't team the eyes together, then depth perception is poor. So that's going to impact our motor and walking stairs and it can impact all those things. Um, those are two big areas that the problems with. Yeah. Do you often find um, really high prescriptions near and far sightedness, or is it not not very often that you find a big prescription? Every once in a while, I, I was thinking no, and then I pop, it popped in my head that there was one person that was carried in like a sack of potatoes and she was she was uh, 11 years old, around 11. And I did the retinoscopy, I scoped her, and I found, I thought, oh, my instrument must not be uh, working well or it's me, there's something wrong. So I called in one of the associate doctors 
minus 14 and never has glasses. So she went all these years seeing in a fog. There was nothing crisp except if it was held an inch away from her eyes. And my heart just hurt because that's rare with those on the spectrum. But if, if it's your child, that's so important. And that's why visual evaluations with someone who will go beyond the typical um, evaluation with someone on the spectrum. That's so true. And, you know, it's funny, as you told that story, it, it triggered a story of me as well. My experience is the same as that. And we'll talk about the prescribing of glasses after our break. But um, I had a patient that came in with the very typical kinds of symptoms, wouldn't look at you, you know, poking in the eyes, um, classic symptoms like that. And he was a plus 10. And those of you who don't know prescriptions, you know, close to zero, you know, plus or minus a little bit is normal. The higher the number, plus or minus. So plus 10 is a very high number. Minus 14 is a very high number. And that's one kiddo. In, nobody ever had his eyes examined because he was so involved and wouldn't look and was so afraid to go anywhere. And finally, I think it was eight or nine that uh, they finally came in for an exam. And I remember the day we put on those plus 10 glasses. Mm-hmm. And the smile, which is atypical, as he just stared and was looking around, and um, it was unbelievable. And what the mom told me the next week is that he had gone on his horseback riding therapy, and it was totally different. He made the instructor stop at every tree because he now could see the trees. He had to go and touch them all. Wow. was he still autistic? Yes. But what a difference in performance. And just, I remember that's, I'll never forget that smile on his face. And exactly. so we have many, many more great stories we're going to tell you, but uh, we're going to be taking a break in just a, a minute. After our break, um, we're going to really start talking about once we do the evaluation, what are some of our our tricks, our um little miracles, truly miracles, using lenses lenses and prisms that um, that are very, very beneficial for these students. So uh, we'll take a break, Nancy, and we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Dr. Lynn will be right back after this. Discover the power of the seeing brain, the creator of your true vision. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's number one bestseller book, Expand Your Vision, helps you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Remove roadblocks and visualize your new lens to see and experience your world. Get Expand Your Vision on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com.
developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight. child organize, really organize, parents and teachers will have practical step-by-step strategies and templates to help get their children organized with Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's Organize It workbook. Increased organizational skills create success and confidence in school, sports, and life. Get Organize It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We're here today with Dr. Nancy Torgerson, who's just the most unbelievable, amazing doctor, optometrist, uh, in her evaluations of children and of adults on the autism spectrum. And we've, we've been talking about the challenges, the difficulties, the creativity it takes uh, to evaluate these kiddos. Um, the second half of our podcast, we really want to get into what can we provide and help these kids through the visual perspective. Many of these patients are, when by the time they come to see us, they often are already in occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy, sometimes cognitive, a number of things. And one of the things I want to make sure everybody understands you can have an identification as being on the autism spectrum, but it does not necessarily mean that you have cognitive dysfunction. Remember, it's a spectrum, and and I know many of the patients I see are brilliant and are, are very, very smart um, little, usually they're kids, yet socially, emotionally, physically, they really have some significant difficulties. So, Nancy, why don't you continue on? Once you've done the examination and you find, you know, whatever you find, what are some of the real, you know, miraculous tools that we have as optometrists that we can help this population with? Well, one of the special things that really helped and continues to help many people are special lenses called yoked prisms. And all they do is bend light, but how that light is then perceived by the brain and makes the world can change the world for someone on the spectrum and not on the spectrum. But in my evaluation, um, this is an important piece is to see how behavior changes with different lenses on these yoked prisms. And 
I'll never forget one person. It was a teenager. And he was like, Mom, Mom, do you see it? Do you see it? He started seeing 3D for the first time. And he goes, my hand. Do you see my hand? He discovered that his body, his hands and his arm were connected to his body. He had never known that before. And I asked if I could go and uh, get, this is before cell phones, <laughs> get our, our video camera and record him. And he said, yes. And it was just awesome to see this. And I still show this, this video of him being aware of his arm and, and looking at it in amazement. And then his talking with his mom about what was happening. So these prisms are so powerful. Back in the day, I used a very high amount of prison, and now we use teeny tiny amounts um, and still get wonderful results. Now, getting someone to wear lenses can sometimes be challenging because there are sensory issues. Um, so we may put them on and off at home for short periods of time. Um, and work with occupational therapy and other therapists to help with the other sensory issues. But that has been a wonderful tool. Therapy has been an amazing, another amazing tool. Uh, did you have something, Lynn, you wanted to add? Yeah, well, I was just going to mention, and those of you who either have uh, your own children or know kids on the spectrum, that you lecture internationally and the real treat is you have so many videos mm -hmm. of your patients using these prisms and these yoke prisms are not routinely prescribed by most doc uh, eye doctors i mean it looks like a pair of glasses so a person wouldn't know they're yoke prisms they don't look unusual at all but they're not the type of lens that makes it blurry or clear like near and far-sighted lens and um and it's really hard to explain the power of your prisms without seeing a demo and seeing what they do and how they can change your posture. And I remember one patient uh, that we tried prisms on and he literally started talking and you go, that can't be. And right. it happens. You know, yep. uh, do you want to take a stab at explaining why things like miracles? I mean, they're like little miracles that happen right, right in front of you. You know, do you have any concept you want to share as to what you think those yoke prisms might be doing? Because optically, it doesn't make sense from a you know optical standpoint. I I think that it changes a signal. Let's back that up. One of the ways it could be doing this because we don't know uh, is changing signal noise. What I can pay attention to. And what I can block out. Um, we use this with special occlusion, not a whole patch, but uh, very minuscule uh, occlusion. And it can change how we see and how we think and how we move. And these yoked prisms change how space is perceived. And that 
continue to this new awareness because if I like I like people to do I love demonstrations. And if you look through a paper towel roll, you can only see a little bit and you don't see outside of that little bit. And then what if you take away all central and all you see is peripherally? And this is where I think those on the spectrum are. They either look very, very central or very, very peripheral, and they can't integrate the two. The yoke prism can help at times make a tremendous bridge of yoke, uh, yoking, <laughs> adjoining uh, central and peripheral together. And we see in a whole new way. Well, that's as great as an explanation <laughs> as I've heard. And um, and we also use these kinds of lenses, especially with other patients, not just patients on the spectrum, but uh, patients that have traumatic brain injury and lots of other kinds of uh, difficulties. Uh, these yoke prisms really are very, very powerful. And those can be prescribed even if you are near or far-sighted. They can be prescribed in addition to your regular lenses. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Great. So go ahead and now continue into uh, the vision therapy and and what kind of things you do and how you, what kind of responses you get from that. Right. One of, we really want to help so that we know where our eyes are aiming and that we can follow because in reading, we need to uh, follow along the line and make beautiful jumps across the page. Um, and at eye contact, we want to be able to look in mom's eyes. So we have all kinds of play things to help stimulate looking. So we've got... Um, Years ago, I used lots of different things in white, uh, balls and uh, bean bags and uh, uh, bowling pins and pitchback, all sorts of things. And then used other kinds of glasses that made, it, made white kind of shimmer. So you would want to look at it more and learn to follow. And we have special We'll use REI headlamps along with uh, special glasses so that when you move your head, your eyes will hopefully follow and start to follow where they're heading for so you know things are connected and see that in a different way. Um, we use the yoke prism in a different way to change the world and then keep changing it so that we have to re recalibrate and rethink and relook and see. So our, we're engaging brain. This is not just eyeball. It's much more than that. And then working with noticing differences um, in our space. Um, so we have ro large rooms where we can do all sorts of kinds of movement and while using vision to guide us. Um, I could go on. <laughs> yes, you could. And, you know, your office looks like, how would I describe it? Like going into the toy store with in a gymnasium uh, <laughs> full of fun things um, and uh, very, very creative. And so 
um, it's all about fun and right. and starting where they're starting. Uh, do you also, you want to explain, do you use any phototherapy and other light kinds of therapy? We do. Uh, we have, especially for those on the spectrum, we use uh, special lamps with uh, different colors of light depending on their diagnosis. So this isn't something you want to play around with without knowing what's going on. But these are taken, they take these home and then in a darker situation, then the light is just turned on. And this, these lights can be very calming and help a person fixate and follow more easily. Or for those that are more like, there's no energy at all. It can other colors can give and create that energy so that we want to move and we want to be engaged. Mm-hmm. So you'll see them in the office and then give the parents um, some of these games and activities to work at at home. Is that correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Right. Um, can you tell us some of the miracle cases. I mean, I I wish I could say all patients Mm -hmm. had miracle cures, and we know that's not the case, but boy, we see a lot of big changes. Share with us some of your, you know, little changes to huge changes in in, uh, success. Uh, One of the people I think about was uh, my second patient, on the spectrum that I knew of. Um, and she came from Portland, which is like three and a half hours away. And uh, mom and grandma came with her and she was in her twenties. And mom wanted to do whatever could be done to help her. And when we started vision therapy, it just thing after thing started clicking. She was in a group home and she outgrew the group home and went to another one. She could now chop food. She could prepare uh, her meals. Uh, she actually was working at Kaiser in the mail room. She was sorting mail. She was able to take the bus by herself. She became more and more independent, and um, she was at her brother's wedding, and she started talking, and people were like, what happened to her? What? It, it, was, it was just one of those miracles that she got a life that they never knew she could have, and they didn't give up. Here she was in her 20s, and she started reading, and it was so much fun to be on the journey with her and her family. It was just very, very special. Um, What an amazing story that you chose, because I think it's real important for people to know that um, our kind of vision therapy and and lots of therapies are not just for the young kids, that at any age, you know, due to what we call neuroplasticity, that you really can still make changes in processing. And you picked 
a patient to, to share with us that 20 years old, I'm sure over the years she had schooling, lots of therapies, yet until you really addressed the visual processing, uh, some of these um, ways of living were just not available t- for her yet. Right, right, and not known. Uh, yeah. And what we have available now and what we will continue to discover, that creates great hope. And uh, I became overwhelmed with the amount of patients on the spectrum that I had. So my I... I love them. I love this population and many other populations so much. But that created in me uh, a new goal is to teach and help my colleagues understand um, those on the spectrum because I can't do it all. (laughs) And uh, it is so wonderful because more and more people are. Uh, a part of this because it is so important to help those on the spectrum as well as others. Yeah, you are really one of the top teachers in our field in this area. Um, And again, you're not only teaching in the U.S., you're going to Spain and around the world uh, teaching your your great tools and tips uh, working with this population. Have you ever seen any patient that has been identified on the autism spectrum uh, become, quote, typical, normal, not show the signs of uh, autism anymore. Have you ever seen that happen? Um, <laughs> I, I guess not, but I see them become more and more typical so that they can I've I've seen them get Eagle Scout Award. I've seen them do amazing things. But I don't know that anyone is, goes from being on the spectrum to neurotypical, per se. Have you? Well, I actually have. Um, on a couple patients that have been very, very involved in changing their whole diet. Often these kids have a lot of GI issues, as we know, and sense sensory issues internally as well, and won't eat good foods or can't eat foods or very picky eaters, whatever. And I've actually had um, a couple patients that have gone through intensive work with functional docs changing diets, supplements, um, doing all the therapies and all the treatments that um, the neurologist or neuropsychologist or whomever has removed the label. I mean, it's not very often that that happens. And we know a lot of, a lot of kids can get a lot better, but um, I think food and nutrition is um, a piece we haven't even mentioned that's really important um, because so many of these kids have gut problems and they can't tolerate, you know, some of these foods and it causes a lot of behavioral issues. And so, you know, it's just another piece of the puzzle um, that we've seen. And um, and I think my real joy, I think you see many, many more 
patients on the spectrum, I know you do, than, than we do. And we see a lot of the higher level functioning kids, often right. gifted kids. And so, as you say, it's a spectrum uh, and a disorder. So depending where you start, you know, how far you have to go, it, it it's quite variable, but there's so much success available. But it, it's a, a real challenge and a very, very difficult thing for parents to deal with. Absolutely. And as you were talking, I, I did think of different people, but um, that the change was maybe they don't have the diagnosis anymore and the letters I've gotten from the parents. So thank you. <laughs> that helped me down memory lane. Yeah, and it's a process and a journey. Well, we're going to need to wrap up here in just a minute, but I want to make sure that you share about your new book, uh, who it's for, and and many congrats on it coming oh. up. But share about your book and where it's available and how people can contact you. The new book is available through the Optometric Extension um, Program, and it is for optometrists and vision therapists, and it's for those that want to learn about vision therapy and communication and communication is so vital in all areas of life, but especially when talking about vision, when people think that it's just about 2020 and there's so much more. So it's been a joy, and I worked with um, Dr. Christy Jensen on this project, and I'm, I'm happy that it's come to fruition. I am happy as well. And I must say, I've had the privilege of seeing parts of it. And it's like, you know, Nancy's brain poured out in the pages. <laughs> there is so much experience and information. So I encourage all this, all the professionals to uh, uh, grab it. You can uh, order it. And uh, I think it'll be so valuable in your teaching um, others in this field to help all the Thousands and millions of not only kids on the spectrum, but but any type of atypical uh, and special needs population. Well, we just have uh, less than a minute left. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we close, Nancy? Absolutely. If people are interested more on this, we give a workshop for parents and teachers and other professionals. And now it's via Zoom. So people can join from all over. And if they want information on that, the next one is September 27th at 6.30 Pacific time. And info at alderwoodvisiontherapy.com, uh, we can send you the Zoom link. But we just want to spread the word about people getting the help they need for vision. Thank you so much, Lynn. Thank you, Nancy. You're awesome. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.